One summer, one summer, Erwin McManus's son Aaron went to a youth camp. And he was just a little guy, and Erwin was glad, was kind of glad because it was a church camp. He figured if his son went to a church camp, there wasn't going to be nights where, where he hears all of these ghost stories because ghost stories can be really hard for young children and can be pretty scary and can give them nightmares. But unfortunately, since it was a church camp, uh, and they didn't tell ghost stories because we don't believe in ghosts. They told demon and Satan stories. And so when Aaron got home, he was terrified. Dad, he said the first night, don't turn off the light, he said before going to bed. No, Daddy, could, could you stay here with me? Daddy, I'm afraid. They told all these stories about demons. He kind of told what they told. And his dad said, I wanted to say they're not real. He goes, Daddy, Daddy, would you pray for me that I would be safe? Erwin said, I could feel it. I could feel warm blanket Christianity beginning to wrap around him. A life of safety. 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 I said, Aaron, I will not pray for you to be safe. I will pray that God will make you dangerous. So dangerous that demons will flee when you enter the room. And he goes, all right, but pray that I would be really, really dangerous, Daddy. <laughs> A question that I want to ask this morning is, have you ever come to that place in your own life where you stop asking God to give you a safe life and instead make you dangerous? A dangerous follower of Jesus Christ. Can prayer be dangerous? I mean, I hope, since we introduced this last week, I hope you've been thinking, what is that? And, and I'm, I'm not going to completely define it today. Uh, you're going to have to stick with us through the series, but I think you will, uh, you will really want to stick with us through the entire four-week series. But is, is prayer supposed to be dangerous? Think about that. Well, I think that in an encounter with a holy God can be dangerous. Now, not in a life-threatening way, that's not the kind of danger that I'm talking about, but in a way that can be life-altering and soul-shaping. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, a little girl named Lucy hears from the animals in Narnia that there's this big, powerful lion coming, and, and the lion's name is Aslan, and he's the god figure in C.S. Lewis's books. And, and the lion is going to change the land because the land is a land of winter without Christmas, a land in which the witch is cursed. And the only hope that the people have in this land is a visit from Aslan. So Aslan is going to come and he's going to make things better. But the more she hears all these animals, talking animals, looking forward to the coming of Aslan, the more spooked she gets because of the way that they talk about him. That's why when Lucy became aware she might meet Aslan, the Christ figure, she worriedly asked Mr. Beaver whether he was safe. Mr. Beaver said, safe? Who said anything about safe? 
Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. And he's the king. You see, all too often we pray safe prayers. Right? God bless me. God help me. God protect me. God heal me. God provide for me. Those aren't dangerous prayers. Dangerous prayers are risky and life-stretching. Dangerous prayers come out of a spirit of brokenness. Dangerous prayers are filled with boldness and daring faith. My most dangerous prayers come in moments of deep frustration and seasons of brokenness. I mean, honestly, I, I pray more dangerously when I need to experience a touch from God. And unfortunately, it, I think God allows those things or those things occur in my life for the purpose of me trusting Him. And, and if, if we just pray prayers of, in, in generality, I mean, if, if our children talk to us the way that we talk to God sometimes, would we ever know what they're asking for or what we should do for them? Honestly, I mean, I want to hear, um, when my kids come to me with a request, I want to know what it is. What is it exactly that you're asking? Or what is it exactly that you are asking for forgiveness for? Because we often do that too. God, forgive me for my sin this week. Well, that's pretty easy. That's pretty general. Let's list some. Let's be specific. Let's see what happens when, when we begin to be open with God about what we really know in our heads that we did that was wrong and that, that we need to seek his forgiveness for. I mean, I, I pray more dangerously when I need his power in my everyday ministry. Uh, let's face the fact, I, I pray more when I, I, I am in want of something, when I am in need of something, when I am desperate. Don't we all? What if that type of prayer and that attitude of prayer was an everyday thing? Not just when we felt like our tank was empty or we needed an extra shot of spirituality or God's power. But it was an everyday thing. Max Lucado said, This, my God, is my prayer. Draw me from your fire, form me on your anvil, shape me with your hands, and let me be your tool. That, my friends, is a dangerous prayer. This, God, is my prayer. Draw me from your fire, form me on your anvil, shape me with your hands, and let me be your tool. It's probably not very fun when, when a blacksmith takes... If, if metal had feelings, right? When a blacksmith throws a piece of metal in a fire, heats it up to hot temperatures, red hots, throws it over an anvil, anvil and starts beating it with his hammer. Sometimes that's the kind of shaping that your life and mine require. And, and a dangerous prayer is one of those prayers, and sometimes we accidentally pray them, not, not thinking about and realizing what we're saying years ago, years ago. I prayed that God would make me a gentle person. Now, we don't want to pray anything that we're not willing to undergo the, the forming and the, the heating and the hammering of. But at the same time, we need to be willing to, to take a risk and pray a dangerous prayer. One that, that the result of would be us being different. Us being changed in some shape 
or some way or some form. Take Jacob, for instance. We're going to look at Jacob, who wrestled with God out of great frustration and the paralyzing fear of meeting his brother Esau. Jacob needed something. He clung to God in prayer as a wrestler grappling with his opponent, and in the process, he was changed in a profound way. We're going to look at that. In fact, turn with me right now to Genesis chapter 32, the first book of the Old Testament, Genesis. Turn to Genesis chapter 32. Before we begin to read this, though, I think we need to have some context. Maybe you're not familiar with, with the story of Jacob, and, and you're not sure about all the details, and I wish I could go into all of them, but man, this actually, as I, th- I thought through, this would be a great great series, even going through the life of, of Jacob. But before, um, so Jacob is on his way to see his brother Esau, when, when, when we pick up the story in, in uh, verse 22 of chapter, or verse 22 of chapter 32. But when, when they were separated, okay, when Jacob and his brother Esau were separated before, it didn't go so well. You see, when they were growing up, um, or since they were growing up, their relationship hasn't been very good. Because Jacob stole Esau's birthright. Esau was actually born first. Um, now we know from, from God's perspective, and we're told this, that, that it was actually Jacob that God was going to use. So he was going to work that out. But, it, but Jacob and his mother took things into their own hands and, and tried to, I guess, force the hand of God in a sense. So Jacob stole Esau's birthright. Then, then he tricked his dad into thinking that he was Esau, and, and he stole his brother's blessing too. After this happened, Jacob had to flee from home. I mean, it, 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 he, he became estranged from, from his family, from his brother. Now, just as crazy as Jacob's story is and what he did, and, and he was a deceiver and he was a liar, he lied twice to his dad in stealing this blessing that he got. Um, the crazy thing about that is, is that's, he was the one that was chosen by God. You know, he received through deception what God would have provided him anyway. The problem was, now, he has lost so much. The path that he has been on, that he chose, is not the path that God had for him. Though he ended up in the same place, because I believe God works that way in our lives, he ended up where God wanted him. In the process of him getting there, he lost a lot. He lost his relationship with his family, with his father, and, and, and many other things. So, so many lessons to be learned from Jacob's journey. But, but now let's skip forward, skipping a lot of details that happened. Um, Jacob gets older, he begins to look for a wife, and he found the woman that he wanted to be married to, and her name was Rachel. Beautiful, the Bible says she was. Beautiful Rachel. And her father said, okay, you work for me for seven years and then I'll give you my daughter, Rachel, who was the youngest in the family. He did. He worked, which was something unusual for him. Before, he might have just tried to deceive his father-in-law out of her, but he did. He worked the seven years. Um, There's the marriage ceremony. Um, he goes into the tent. He is with his wife for the first night, of course, with her, her face veiled, and finds out the next morning that it's not Rachel. 
It's his sister Leah. See, Laban told a Jacob on Jacob. And he's upset, or at least now feeling what it feels like to be tricked. Um, has now taken Leah as his wife. Um, and, and her father, Laban, said it would not have been right for us to give away the youngest before the oldest. That was the reasoning. So after talking about it, Jacob went through the seven days of, of, of honeymoon, or I don't know what they call it in, in, in Israel, and at the end of that seven days, Laban then also gave him Rachel. So now he has two wives, okay? Um, but then um, he received Rachel because he committed to Laban that he would work another seven years. So he works another seven years. And then some more sort of, not necessarily deception, um, the whole thing with the sheep herd and how the lambs were born and the color they were, um, Laban loses out a lot on property. And, and God is just, God is blessing Jacob hand over fist and his property and his family is growing by leaps and bounds. And you can imagine what that would cause, especially with in-laws. His welcome is worn out and he has to leave that area and the only place he has to go is back home, which is where Esau is. And he's scared to death because look what he took from Esau. But God assures him through a couple dreams actually that he's going to watch over him and care for him and protect him. And so Jacob is on his way. He's on his way to... Uh, to see Esau and to meet up with him. And, and God had actually, if, if we read the whole chapters around this situation, we see that God is doing a, a miraculous thing in Esau's heart. And unbeknownst to Jacob, because, you know, back then there wasn't text messaging and Facebook, and, you know, Esau wasn't posting things about how God was changing his heart and how forgiveness was big and all of that. Jacob has no idea what his reception from Esau is going to be. For all he knows, Esau may try to kill him. In fact, he thinks that that's going to happen when Esau comes out to meet him um, with 400 men. Jacob actually divides his family and all of his property up into two groups. In case Esau attacks one of them, the other ones can maybe get away to safety. now Jacob finds himself at the doorstep of the land he left years ago. And after he receives a vision of angels from God, a reassurance that God will protect him, I read this, this, this week, when God's work is involved, the conflict is spiritual, not physical. When God's work is involved, the conflict is spiritual, not physical. How many times does the battle rage in our minds before we say anything or do anything or treat somebody a certain way or have a certain attitude? When God's work is involved, the conflict is spiritual, not physical. This was true for Jacob. It was true for Israel, and it's true for us today. No human effort can be sufficient for any of these things. That's what we see here today. That's why the need to look at prayer and investigate the idea of dangerous prayer, that's why it's so important. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 5 say this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How does that happen in the midst of prayer? In the midst of a conversation, a communication, a submission to the creator of the universe. That's what prayer is. We also need to remember that Satan is going to do everything that he is allowed to, that God has given him power to do to influence us, that prayer doesn't work, that, it's, that nothing's happening, that it's not about a spiritual battle, it's all about us, and that we need to put our best foot forward, and we need to do this. Satan is not going to encourage or just let us Make a commitment to pray for 21 straight days. You make that decision here this morning. Do you think you're going to walk out that door and it's going to be easy every day? For even just 21 days? Satan is going to do everything he can to, to, to encourage you to live such busy and distracted lives that February 1 comes and you think to yourself, Whoa, wait, I didn't, I forgot. That happens to me a lot. That happens to me a lot. There's something that I need to be committed to praying for on a faithful basis in. I forget why. Acted in. I don't know if that's... Uh, it still says I have battery. I don't know if God gives Satan power over technology or not. That's why we're encouraging everyone to join us over the next 20 days, 21 days starting Tuesday. To pray dangerous prayers. To take the time. No, to make the time. Somebody posted a quote last week and it reminded me of a, a quote that my grandmother used to say and she said it this way, David, she would always say this when, when she would ask me to do something like mow the lawn. And I would say, I don't really have time to do that this week. She would say, David, you always have time to do what you want to do. So, do you want to pray or not? Are we going to take the time to pray or not? And like I said, it's in those times of desperation when I pray, that's when I have the want to. But I want to have the want to in good times too. I want it to become such a, uh, a habit of mine, to, su such a part of who I am. I want it to be like, like breathing or blinking my eyes. We don't think about that except for just now in the last five seconds. We don't think about that. We just do it. I want prayer to be that way for me. Ian Bounds said, you can never do more than pray until you have prayed. I want prayer to be one of my first responses in any situation. Good, bad, indifferent. An ongoing conversation with the creator of the universe. There's a book that, uh, that you might get if this is an area that you really feel God um, pushing you towards, especially if you feel like you're too busy. Uh, Bill Hybels wrote a book 
years ago called Too Busy Not to Pray. Um, I'm sure it's available on Amazon. You could get it. Um, slowing down to be with God. What does that look like? What Give you some structure, and I think Bill kind of does if, if you feel like you're, you're too busy too busy to pray. So, all right, let's, that, that's enough background. That's, that's enough talk. Let's, let's look at the passage. Let's look what happens to Jacob here. Starting in verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. I wonder what that looked like. What was the beginning of that match? How did that start? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, this wrestling match went on. He touched the socket of... So this is a physical... This is obviously a physical battle going on. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, uh, the man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? <laughs> then it says, Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Now that's what I call a knockdown, drag out prayer time. Have you ever wrestled with God over something? I mean, I, I have. Back in 1987 when I was at Urbana, Illinois, at, at the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship Urbana Conference, I was wrestling with God over my future, and it felt physical. It wasn't. But I was wrestling what I wanted with my life against what I felt like God was calling me to. I wanted to be a farmer. I wanted to get married, live on the farm, raise my family, and turn over soil the rest of my life. And God was saying to me very specifically at this mission conference, I want you to go. I want you to go. And I wrestled and I wrestled, and there were a couple other guys in my room that week, and we would pray together every night and every morning, and, and this was a part of our prayer time. And, and finally, the last night, I gave up. I gave up. I said, okay, God, you win. You win. Now, that, interesting, that's not what Jacob did, is it? He wouldn't let the man win until... He was blessed. Now, I don't know what sort of theological point there is. One out of that, part of that, one is, one I think is we need to be more persistent than we are. We, we, are, we, we conform too much to our culture with, with looking for 
quick and fast things and easy things and, and we aren't committed to anything for a long period of time enough to just continue to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. Because, I mean, we, we move on to other things. Now, I think what he said there, um, again, is the sort of the epitome of a dangerous prayer. God bless me. Why not pray that? Have you ever prayed that in a specific way? I mean, I'm sure part of this conversation in this wrestling match, I don't know if it was silent or not, but I bet there was an ongoing conversation going on through the process of this. And here, here Jacob is, just about to go into back, return back to his home, to his home where his brother, he thinks, is, gonna, is laying and lying in wait to kill him. I mean, what boldness, what assumption, what expectation, what a relationship to say, God, I want this. Now, some of you may be thinking, I could never approach God that way. I could never demand from him. And, and I have to agree with that thought a bit. I mean, demanding things from God is definitely dangerous. But I believe we then swing the pendulum too far to the other side and, and we don't even really ask for anything. And that's not what Scripture tells us God wants us to do. It's like we don't think God can or will do anything. And if, if the answer might be no, we just say, well, I'm just not even going to ask. Those of you that know me know that that's generally not the way I roll. I mean, I figure it's better to ask and not be given than to not ask at all. So here's the thing. We're in process, right? I mean, we are all being, being discipled. We are all on a journey. And God knows that, right? Don't you think that if we overstep what we're asking for, that God will lovingly, yet firmly, correct us and bring us back and humble us to where he wants us to be? I mean, I would much rather have my children ask me for something specific than not ask at all and not have. If there's something that my children ask me for and I can provide it and I, and I believe and know that it would be good for them, I... Absolutely I would, but if they don't ask, there's not an increase in the depth of our relationship of our, with our intimacy with each other. That happens. I mean, as we actually pray dangerously, I think God will help us along the way. So as we continue looking at and learning how to pray dangerously over the next three weeks, we're going to need to... Um, know up front the effects that praying like this will have. And, and I think these four um, outcomes are worth us taking a risk and praying dangerously. Um, they, they all come out of Gary Wormeyer. They're at the very beginning of Gary Wormeyer's book, 21 Dangerous Prayers book. And I know we're not all going to have those, so I wanted to go through these with you this morning. The first, first of all, dangerous prayers will mark our lives. They'll mark our lives. As Jacob was humbly, humbled physically, he was reminded that he was also being changed spiritually. 
when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. The sun rose above, verse 31, him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. That wrestling with God marked his life. It marked his life. Verse, verse 29, Then he blessed him. There, praying dangerous prayers will mark our lives. It, it helps us put ourselves in a position to hear from God. God wants to change us. So let's pray dangerous prayers. Someone asked me a question this week. He said, uh, he said that years ago, and I'll, I'll tell this story, he said that years ago he used to hang out regularly with a group of guys and that they would go on motorcycle rides together and, and you know, I don't know, there was about a dozen of them or, or so. And, and, and he said, I, I don't remember all the details, but he said, I do remember being at the end of the day and I was just sick of these guys. I couldn't stand them. They drove me nuts. He said, and then he said, okay, fast, um, flash forward to today. There's a group of, of people that I hang out with on a regular basis, once a week, and, and spend a lot of time together. And he said, I find that at the end of that time, I want to go back again the next week. We, we enjoy that time. What is the deal? And I said this. He said, what changed? What do you think my answer was? You. You changed. And you know it. You know what God has done in your life to, to, to today. You know how God has changed your attitude about things and about people. You know that, that it's not because people treat you any differently, and, and maybe it's a different type of group of people. Maybe that's part of it. But again... As God changes us, we find ourselves, don't you find yourself mellowing out a little bit, being more patient with people that, that you earlier on in life, or maybe your spouse, you're more patient, more forgiving, more understanding than you were before? It's not because you've become such a great person. It's because of the change that God has done in your heart. And you look at them and you see them differently. And, and if we would pray dangerous prayers, it would open our lives up to a greater degree that God could mold us and fashion us. Dangerous prayers mark our lives. Dangerous prayers also change our identities. They change our identities. Jacob, Jacob this is obvious, he received a new name. But, but you also have to realize in in ancient days, names meant something. They were a description of the person. You know, when God said somebody's name was going to be such and such, it's, it's because that's who that person was going to be. We have a little harder time with that, don't we? Um, we, we name someone because we like the name. Or because it has meaning. But we don't know what that person is going to be like before we name them. Sometimes, however, isn't it interesting that our names do actually describe who we are and the gifts that God has given us and what we know. E even with what Jacob had accumulated through toil and pain and work, including the birthright, including the blessing, those didn't identify him. That was not who he was as a man. No, God identified him. 
we received a new name. We will receive new names of sorts, right? I mean, when, when we pray, God transforms us. He molds us. And as we go through that process, if there's someone who watches us go through those changes, and they see who we were then, and they see who we are now, honestly, our name to them means something different today than it did 20 years ago. Have you ever said, oh, I knew a David once? the the not-so-good identity to have. You see, as we pray, God transforms us. He molds us. and, And we need to ask Him to. We need to ask Him to. We need to recognize that we're not who God wants us to be today. That's That's a process. And and we need to enter into that process and begin to recognize what it is that that is a part of us, that where are those rough edges that God wants to smooth out, and let's ask Him to smooth them out. Let's submit ourselves to those things. And as we do, we will find that we have new identities. Children of the King. Sons and daughters of God, not CEO of this company, or president of this company, or owner of this property. Dangerous prayers mark our lives, they change our identities, and they also draw us closer to God. Jacob came face to face with God as God's great mercy was revealed. Jacob experienced a deeper sense of intimacy. I mean, as he wrestled with God, he came to the point where he felt okay saying, Bless me. Bless me. It's, it's very similar. I mean, God created us for relationship, right? And, and when, when we're in a relationship with a spouse, and we're meeting face to face, and we're talking about things, not just the weather and those sorts of things, we're, we're sharing life together, there is a sense of intimacy that develops a more closeness with one another, a greater trust, a greater willingness to be transparent and to be vulnerable and share how I actually feel. That's what happens when we pray dangerous prayers regularly with God. It draws us closer to Him. They put us Dangerous prayers will put us in a position to hear and experience the, pre- the presence of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Dangerous prayers mark our lives, change our identities, draw us closer to God, and finally, they impact the community of faith. Don't ever think that a prayer will not move the heart of God. I mean, if it's... I mean, if we're living life in sin and we're crying out to God for a new truck okay, I think we could probably, I mean. I mean, if my kids were just disobeying me left and right and asked for a new car or something, I would, I would probably not answer that. But here's the thing. This event in Jacob's life was memorialized in the name of the place to remind us that when the leader is changed, 
It affects the people that that leader is leading. Think about pastors that you know who are no longer pastors because they, they were really selfish and They're no longer leading their church because they did something terrible. They had an affair or they were abusive to someone. What effect does it, does that only affect them and their life? No, it doesn't, does it? The whole world, in today's world, the whole world looks in on that community and says, oh, yeah, there you go. Christians are, they're hypocrites. Now, pastors are people and they, they get tempted by sin just like you and me. Me too. Me too. Which is why it is so important that, that we, we maintain a connection to the, to the community. And as we pray and as we, we live life together, that is a part of it. We can hide that from other people, but hopefully, hopefully um, someone sees something and says something. But here's the thing. I mean, so far you're thinking about me as your pastor. See, we're all leaders in our own right. Whether you like it or not, you are a leader. In your marriage, in your family, at work, the people who have been entrusted to you by God, who you are, who, who you are leading or leading in a mission, whatever that is, people follow you. They're influenced by you, by the decisions that you make. Whether you like it or not, you are leader. They're influenced by the decisions you make and the actions you take. The words you say and the prayers that you pray. Those impact the community of faith. Prayer moves mountains, the Bible tells us. And I say, let's move some mountains. Let's pray some dangerous prayers and see what God does. Let's get in a prayer groove. The book could help you with that. This process, the sermon series can help you with that. Um, we've put up a prayer wall out here. It's in a different place than the old prayer wall. Um, it's by the coat rack there on the wall. There are, there are pieces of paper. There are pens. I encourage you to, even if you have to wait today, take time. If there's something that's heavy on your heart, heavy on your mind, or God has given you a dangerous prayer already as you sit here this morning, write it on a piece of paper, pin it on there, and then take time over the next 30 days whether it's to come to church a little bit early on a Sunday morning or to come in during the week when the doors are unlocked and stand in front of that wall and pray for the things that are on it. Let's pray for one another too. This isn't all about me or you. It's about all of us. Why not start the year this way? So over the next 21 days, we will be exploring the dangerous prayers that have been prayed by God's people for thousands of years. We trust God will meet you, I trust God will meet you in a dangerous and life-transforming manner. We pray that you will not be the same, and that your family, your neighborhood, your workplace, and this church will be impacted because you personally have met with God. When is the last time you can identify that you feel like you personally met with God? Start there. Pray a dangerous prayer and meet Him. 
Now, we've bro- these have been broken down in the 21 dangerous prayers into three categories, and we're going to be looking at those three categories over the next three weeks on Sunday mornings. Confessional prayers, Lord, search me, which allows God to breathe into our life. We invite His holiness into our life to expose things that are in our life that shouldn't be there. We seek God's sanctifying power and strength and grace as we work out the gospel in our lives through confession and repentance. The the third week will be missional prayers. Lord, send me. That's a dangerous prayer. Because when we pray, Lord, send me, we're not exactly sure what he has in mind. But ultimately, what he has in mind is the best. It's the best. And then finally, wait a minute, I skipped one. Rats. Lord, search me. Then the next week is, Lord, break me. Because until we fully surrender to him, we're not going to hear his call to go to another place or do something different or have a conversation with someone unless we are submitting to him. That's, that'll be the third week of this series. And then the fourth week is, Lord, send me. Which again is a dangerous prayer. It's dangerous in the sense that we don't know what the answer is going to be, necessarily. But we need to trust him with it. It will increase our faith. May God's fire purify your soul. May God's anvil shape and mold your life, and may you become a useful tool, ready to be used in the hands of the Almighty. That's a prayer that we will be praying as, as your leaders every day. Now, as we move on to communion this morning, the worship team can make their way to the stage. I want to share something with you. Um, This is a prayer request. Uh, And I wrote a lot of this down so I could get through it. But it seems that my dad is going to write the last chapter of his life. Um, Last Sunday, somebody noticed that his skin color was starting to get a little bit orange. He was starting to experience some itching. Um, And and among other things, I I suppose, uh, those are signs of kidney failure. So um, Dad went to the doctor. They drew some blood on Thursday. Thursday night, they called and said, "Um, we're going to do some surgery on Friday. They took him in Friday afternoon at 2 they uh, put a stint in his pancreas to increase the flow out of his pancreas or whatever, I don't know. Um, I just know they put a stint in. And the doctor said that uh, his color would return and that, that the, some of the pain would go away. Um, but that while he was in there, he took a look at the tumor, and, uh, which a couple months ago the doctor said was pre-cancer. Whether it was or wasn't before, it is now. Um, So we don't know if it'll be shorter or if it'll be longer, but they're giving him one to two months. Um, Hard words to hear. Very hard words to hear. Um, Words that cut a person to their core. Now, not a new experience for our family. We've lost a parent already because of cancer years ago. We lost my mom in 87. Um, We've walked, I've personally walked with many people over the last 25 years, 
who have experienced loss in their life. Um, in fact, many of you in this room, actually. And the words of hope that I always proclaim, you've heard them. Right? Those words ring true for our family right now. My cousin texted me last night and he said, tough stuff. I'm not sure how people without Jesus get by. Amen. Seriously. Thankfully and by the grace of God, we don't have to get by. We will all, my dad included, lean into the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. And I am a part of a special family. That I know for sure. The family I was born into. A family of kids who are the way they are because they had a dad who was who he was and a mom who she was. And of course, the family that came later, which is everyone here. And the families are special really not because of who we are as people, but because of who Jesus is. Because if we were just special because of who we are, we'd screw it up. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, in the tomb, and in his resurrection. May we never forget that. Ever. No matter what happens in our life. In fact, God helped us with that. That's why we are celebrating communion this morning, so that we may not forget. So that we may remember the significance of what Jesus did for us. So today we celebrate the reason that we have hope in life and in death. So pray for us. Um, But not just us. Lots of other people have hurts and some even greater, to a greater degree, than what we will experience. Um, so if the sermons come forward, I want us to receive the bread first this morning. <clears throat>